Welcome to the Omfair podcast. Hello and welcome to the OnFIF podcast, a weekly discussion on key trends in investment and economic policy from some of the world's leading commentators. I'm Katrina Atkins, Program Coordinator at OnFIF Sustainable Policy Institute, and today we will be discussing the development of social taxonomies. I'm delighted to be joined today by Elia Tripol, who is Policy Analyst at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Elia joined the OECD from the European Commission, where she was deeply involved in the development of the EU taxonomy. So welcome, Elia, and thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you here. So let's dive in. I'm sure you will agree with me that in recent years, we have seen impressive growth in sustainable investing with a particular focus on environmental issues. And these investments will only grow. Uh, as far as I know, the OECD estimated the further investments of $630 billion a year worldwide for the next decade will be needed to have a 66% chance of limiting the temperature increase on the Earth's surface to below 2 degrees. However, there is also a huge need for investments in the social side of sustainability, and the COVID-19 has shown the importance of social elements of ESG. And while green taxonomies, which help to steer these green investments toward green initiatives, are being developed across various jurisdictions, work on social taxonomies has just begun. So my initial question, uh, to make it clear to our listeners who are not so much plugged into the topic, would be, Elia, why there is a need for such a classification like social taxonomy and how can it help to prevent social washing? And just as a continuation of this question, what are the framework and objectives of social taxonomy? So Elia, the floor is yours. Thanks, Katrina. I'm delighted to be here and to talk to you about this topic today. I would say that there are broadly three main reasons for a social taxonomy. And one of them you've already mentioned, it's to prevent social washing. The other two reasons are very similar to the raison d'etre of a green taxonomy which is to redirect capital towards social goals and to allow investors to fully take into account social risks and opportunities. So to prevent social washing, you really need to have a strong definition and measurement of social investment, and a taxonomy is the right tool to do that. So the same idea informed the green taxonomy with the aim to define green investments and economic activities in order to limit greenwashing. And we do see in the market today that there is a problem with social washing because ESG ratings can give you fundamentally different results depending on the provider of the ratings. And that makes them difficult to use by investors. And this applies across all dimensions of ESG, but it's true that it can be exacerbated in the S dimension. So for example, in 2019, there was a survey that was done among 350 investors and the survey found that almost half of them consider the social aspect of ESG to be the most difficult to analyze. And so that's why a social taxonomy can help prevent social washing by um, harmonizing how social sustainability is measured and to make it easier for investors to make informed and consistent decisions, and at the same time help to direct resources towards socially responsible activities and companies. And so that links to the second objective that I was talking about earlier, 
which is to redirect capital. And in that context, there is really a huge need to invest also private money into social sustainability and into the just transition. Of course, we know that government spending is going to be fundamental to ensure that welfare and social security systems are robust. But we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic that private investment actually also has a role to play. So for example, the European Commission issued during the pandemic social bonds under the SURE framework in order to fund spending to contain surges in unemployment, to maintain employment and to help with skills and incomes. And the other aspect of course is the just transition where we will need private investment as much as in the green transition because we know that the green transition will require drastic changes in a number of different sectors in our economy, like for example, in transport and manufacturing, and that will have an effect on the lives of workers in those sectors and their communities. So it's important that the just transition is also considered by private investors and a social taxonomy can help with that. And then and lastly, the third main objective of a social taxonomy is to help investors take into account risks and by extension opportunities related to social issues. We already know that investors face a number of ESG risks, and those risks are of reputational, regulatory, market credit, operational nature, and other types of risks. But actually, in particular, social grievances and human rights violations of companies can increase all of these existing risks, for example, through reputational damage, through liability issues, but also through supply chain disruptions. And all of that translates into material risks for investors. So having a social taxonomy can help identify those risks and after identifying them, help mitigate them through, for example, um, due diligence tools. Great, thank you. That was really, really helpful. And thank you for mentioning that survey. Indeed, on the one hand, there is an interest into social investments, but on the other, there is a ambiguity in that sphere. And so it brings me to the question of the design of taxonomies, a design of social taxonomies. You mentioned development of green taxonomies, and we see them uh, appearing in many jurisdictions, including in the European Union and uh, China, the pioneers of this work. And the foundations of the environmental taxonomies are obvious. This is natural science. And for social taxonomy, however, it's uh, not that straightforward as it cannot be based uh, on science uh, in the same way. So the question would be, will these environmental taxonomies become a blueprint for the development of social taxonomies? And what uh, is the criteria for social taxonomies? Thank you. I think this is a really good question. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of reference points for social taxonomies at the moment. I would say that the main reference point that we do have is the report on a social taxonomy by the EU platform on sustainable finance, which can give us some indication. And there I would say you can see some clear similarities with green taxonomies, but also some differences. So of course that report says that the overarching goal of the social taxonomy is to spell out what constitutes a social investment and and what are economic activities that can provide a substantial contribution to social goals. This is the same as what has been done through the green taxonomy. 
in a similar vein, they ask to spell out how to not do significant harm to other objectives. And they also look at what could be harmful activities under a social taxonomy, which is already one of the, one of the differences. But to go back to the first principle, which is the substantial contribution, that is one of the key pillars of the green, green taxonomy. And in the social taxonomy, you have that same main pillar driving the development of the taxonomy. And so the report of the platform uh, on sustainable finance suggests that there should be three overarching social objectives. One is decent work, the other one is adequate living standards and well-being, and the third one is inclusive and sustainable communities and societies. In addition to that, they then propose a list of sub-objectives, but they already acknowledge now that further work will be needed to refine that list and also more work on whether and how actual criteria for substantial contribution can be drawn up for those different sub-objectives. So it's not really clear whether social taxonomies can be developed in exactly the same way as a green taxonomy, because at the heart of the green taxonomy, you have, of course, the drawing up of lists of activities with, as you said, very specific science-based qualitative and quantitative criteria. Whereas substantial contribution in a social taxonomy might need to be conceived a little bit differently. So for example, in the report of the platform, they look at three types of substantial contribution. And I would say those are quite different from the ones that are in the green taxonomy and maybe having these very specific science-based thresholds and criteria might not be the best way to ascertain whether a substantial contribution is made by an economic activity. So for example, the first type of substantial contribution is activities that help to avoid and address adverse impacts. This is not something that necessarily exists in the same way in the green taxonomy. And then the second category, which is probably um, very similar to the green taxonomy is activities that have an additional inherent social benefit. So for example, social goods and services for basic human needs and basic economic infrastructure. But again, it's unclear whether you could have the same type of thresholds and criteria for this type of activity as you would have in a green taxonomy. And then the last, the third category is enabling activities, which also exist in the green taxonomy. So these are economic activities that have the potential to enable substantial risk reductions in other sectors. So again, they might be similar, but it, it is too early to tell whether they will be um, based on the same type of logic as the green taxonomy, because it's still very early days. So I think it's important to remember that this is still a very nascent space. So we will have to see how it develops in the future, but I think it's very good to remain flexible while leaning on some of the principles that are in the green taxonomy because using some of those same principles can help investors, of course, compare the logic between the two. And of course, some of these principles have been tried and tested now for some time. So we know that in a way they work. So hopefully social taxonomies will have the same sort of high level framework, although the criteria will likely look quite different because the issues are very different. Well, uh, that was an awesome answer. And indeed, it's too early to discuss some of the particular items of the design of social taxonomy, as you mentioned, that uh, it's just a report on potential social taxonomy that was released by the EU platform on sustainable finance. 
if I'm not mistaken, on 28th of February of this year. And uh, just this brings me to the question on the general legal framework in the European Union, because just several days before this report, uh, on 23rd of February, the European Commission adopted a proposal for a directive on corporate sustainability due diligence. So what is the interconnection between these proposals and how does it fit in with the framework of corporate sustainability reporting directive, uh, SESRD, and sustainable finance disclosure regulation? So could you please uh, elaborate on this a little bit? Thank you for this question, Katrina. I think it's a really good one because already in the green space there is always a question of how all of the different legislative requirements in the different regulations and directives within sustainable finance interact with each other and I think investors are a little bit confused so there is a risk that that same problem will follow with the social taxonomy but let's see if we can try to disentangle them a bit. So the proposal that you were talking about is a directive on corporate sustainability due diligence, as you said. And so it focuses on the due diligence duties of the company and its impact on human rights, health, climate, and the environment. So the overarching aim is to prevent, mitigate, and to account for adverse sustainability impacts on the basis actually of existing standards like the UNGPs and the OECD guidelines. The aim is that companies will have to identify both upstream and downstream risks and to act on those risks. And so to do that, due diligence processes are really at the heart of the initiative. And some of the objectives, for example, on decent work and on communities and end users, that are in the proposal of the platform on a social taxonomy can overlap with the objectives of the due diligence initiative because they will improve businesses' respect for human rights. So there is a very clear overlap and they can fundamentally help each other. But of course, once the initiative is finalized, so at the moment it's just a commission proposal, but once it has gone through the process with the co-legislators, it will need to be worked out in more detail what exactly the role of the social taxonomy will be in these areas. But one thing that we can already see is that a taxonomy links its criteria to activities while this directive operates at the entity level of the company. So there, there may, may be a mismatch there, um, but I suppose that this is the same that we see with green regulation in the sustainable finance space and their solutions can also be found. So likely we will have to try and find the same sort of solutions. The other point to bear in mind is that, of course, the role of the taxonomy is to define substantial contribution criteria. So that generally sets the bar higher than existing regulation in the same space. So this is the same with the green taxonomy, which sets out substantial contribution criteria, for example, for water, even though there is already water legislation. And so the connection between the social taxonomy and this due diligence directive may be similar because generally the taxonomy is supposed to go beyond existing legal requirements. And you also mentioned some of the other legislation in the space. So I will just very briefly touch upon those. So there is the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, the SFDR which does have a clear link to the social taxonomy in the sense that the list of 
principal adverse impacts that are currently known for the SFDR show that there is an overlap between the topics and the information that's required from financial market participants under the SFDR and the information that would be required from them for a social taxonomy. So the link is similar to the link between the green taxonomy and the SFDR. And then the other piece of legislation that is relevant in the space is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, so the CSRD, which requires companies to address social and governance issues in the information that they provide as part of their sustainability reporting. And there is also an overlap between the topics that companies will have to report on and the information that will be needed from companies for a suggested social taxonomy. So the objectives of the social taxonomy are actually structured in a very, very similar way as the proposed structure of the CSRD, which is, again, the same as with the green taxonomy, where you can find the objectives of the green taxonomy in the CSRD. Thank you. I'm sure that uh, it became clear not only for me, but also for some of our listeners. So thanks a lot. And just uh, this brings me to the question. Um, so you mentioned that uh, there are overlapping and that uh, we still uh, will see how the final social taxonomy uh, will look like just after some time. But what are the next steps now in the development of social taxonomy in the European Union? So the last step that has happened was the publication of the report by the Platform on Sustainable Finance. And so the next step is normally that this report will now be considered by the European Commission. And then the European Commission is obligated in line with the review clause of the taxonomy regulation to publish a report that describes the provisions that would be required to extend the scope of the taxonomy regulation to cover social objectives. So what that means is that the European Commission has to publish a report that sets out what legal changes would be necessary to the taxonomy regulation in order to include social objectives. This is not to be mistaken with the Commission publishing a legal proposal for a social taxonomy. It's not the same thing. So normally the next step is this report but of course, the Commission can change its mind. And already now they are late on this particular thing. The deadline in the review clause originally was December 2021. Of course, it's now seven months later. So it's not entirely clear what exactly will happen. But if they stick to what they are legally obligated to do, then they would normally publish this report in the next step. Thank you for this explanation. Uh, indeed, we will see how things develop around the design of social taxonomy and when uh, we will see it in the European Union and may maybe some other jurisdictions will follow European Union's example on this. Well, and now from the design to challenges, just uh, while you were talking, I had uh, this in mind that still there are some challenging areas. Uh, in tracking social risks across uh, supply chains and there is an issue of different standards and accessibility of reliable data across uh, different jurisdictions, uh, which is uh, usually a strain for multinational companies. So my question would be, how can the issue of complexity of supply chains be resolved and uh, what is the role of uh, the social taxonomy in this? and what needs to be done to have a comparable, reliable data on social factors across jurisdictions. 
Thanks, Katrina. This is a very important question, arguably probably the most important one that you have asked me today because supply chains are really at the heart of this. So already now about 70% of international trade involves global supply chains. And that means that raw materials, parts, components, services as well will cross borders several times in many cases before they are incorporated into a final product and shipped to consumers. And of course, deep down in those supply chains is where you can find some of the most acute environmental and social risks related to GHG emissions, related to hazardous waste and poor working conditions, child labor and forced labor. And that raises concerns over the potential role of supply chains in exacerbating those risks. And so one way to address the complexity of supply chains and to enhance visibility is through what we call risk-based due diligence. And that has become an important tool to mitigate adverse environmental and social impact from businesses, including in their supply chains. And that's why it is becoming more and more integrated in policies and regulations. So you can see it integrated in the due diligence proposal of the European Commission. It is already covered in the taxonomy regulation and in the SFDR as part of the minimum safeguards for social objectives. And the OECD has developed a, a set of guidance on this risk-based due diligence that can help companies map their supply chains in order to identify and address adverse impacts on people and the planet which is why the OECD guidelines are very often referenced in these policies and regulations that I've just mentioned, for example, at European level. And so the idea is that once a company has more visibility over their supply chain, they can more comprehensively collect data and that can in turn inform their risk management and decision-making process. And if that's done correctly, it can lead to more sustainable outcomes, which we have seen, for example, during the COVID-19 pandemic. During that time, companies that had sound due diligence management practices and greater visibility over their supply chains in place, they ended up being more resilient than their counterparts that had irresponsible business practices. It also has come out of the pandemic that conducting this kind of due diligence can help businesses respond to shocks better, which minimizes the severity of the shock. So after a shock has occurred, for example, a due diligence-based response can help minimize environmental and social impacts, and that can strengthen the entire value chain. And this we have seen very well during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so this type of due diligence is a core concept that is included in the social taxonomy as proposed by the platform. And as I've mentioned already, also in the green taxonomy. So in the social taxonomy, it is recognized that conducting this kind of due diligence to protect worker and community rights in global supply chains should be recognized as a substantial contribution to social objectives. And that goes beyond the do no harm or the minimum safeguard aspect that due diligence is normally about, but it instead really recognizes the transformative impacts that this kind of risk-based due diligence can have if it is implemented correctly and according to international standards. Whereas on the, in the green taxonomy, um, compliance with um, these due diligence standards, so compliance actually with the OECD standards, for responsible business conduct 
is referenced as a minimum safeguard to ensure that economic activities that are considered green don't have harmful impacts on social objectives. So a social taxonomy can incentivize companies to conduct this kind of due diligence and to attract more investments, which can in turn help investors access more detailed information on supply chain risks and supply chain impacts. And so in that context, what I also mentioned earlier, it's really good to see actually that the commission proposal on the due diligence directive also includes, um, includes all of these points that I've just mentioned, which can help create a more comprehensive framework actually to connect the sustainable finance regulatory initiatives that contain these due diligence aspects with the real economy. Great. So Elia, thank you. And uh, just uh, repeating the, the question that I have already mentioned about comparable and reliable data on, on social factors, we hear that now the issue of data is being uh, raised everywhere. So what needs to be done to have this uh, comparable and reliable data on social factors across jurisdictions? Thanks, Katrina. That's a really good question. And I think it's something that we, we are talking a lot about in general in the sustainable finance space. So it's not limited to social and it covers the entire ecosystem, really. And you can really see that because there are more and more frameworks that are popping up in sustainable finance, this topic of interoperability and comparability is really high on the agenda. Unfortunately, so far, the focus has really been on climate metrics, but it's true that recently the G20 Sustainable Finance Working Group has, for example, flagged very general concerns over the lack of consistency in ESG data and the lack of comparability of metrics and methodologies and the range of approaches, which undermines the meaningfulness of it. And this obviously covers the, the social dimension. I do think that having a social taxonomy is a first step to creating this kind of common framework on what constitutes a socially beneficial economic activity. And um, that can help redirect capital flows towards those activities. And having a approach that can be used in several countries across the world is going to help with comparability by, for example, having a baseline on social and human rights reporting for the financial sector. And so that's why, for example, a task force on social related financial disclosures is currently under discussion, because that would be a natural next step to the task force on climate related financial disclosures. So the TCFD, which everybody knows, and the TNFD, which is the task force on nature related financial disclosures. And in the OECD, we are actively contributing to that agenda too, and have different work streams uh, looking at enhancing comparability and interoperability and reliability of ESG ratings and metrics and methodologies, because for us, obviously, we sit between a number of different jurisdictions that have different types of priorities, and, and that will be difficult, in particular with the social taxonomy which is heavily, heavily reliant on national policies and national regulations. So having a kind of task force that can come up with a baseline, which can in turn inform different social taxonomies around the world would be a very good first step to help with bringing comparable and reliable data out across from different jurisdictions. Thank you. Indeed, it would be a good first step. And uh, thank you so much for your 
answers, I just wanted to ask you the last question, if you have anything else to add regarding social taxonomy, its uh, value, its impact, uh, usability. Yeah, happy to. I think, you know, we can learn a lot from what we have done on the green taxonomy. And, you know, I, I'm the first person to tell you that certain parts of the green taxonomy are probably not the most operational and that there are definitely areas for improvement. So I would say that for the social taxonomy, it is really, really important to figure out how we can have common principles that can apply across jurisdictions. Because with the green taxonomy, what we have done is that we have developed the EU taxonomy and then other taxonomies have popped up across the globe. And actually to be fully accurate, the Chinese taxonomy was there before the EU taxonomy. But the effort to introduce some kind of interoperability and comparability was a second step. And that is suboptimal for international investors. So for me, it would be really important that for the social taxonomy, the international effort comes first, and then the national effort goes in parallel so that we can build on the same common principles, which can help investors um, compare investments across borders, which, as I mentioned before, is much, much harder for a social taxonomy because the national legislation is sometimes so vast and far-reaching on these topics that it's actually cutting across the whole structure of how certain types of sectors in the economy are organized. So that's why it's extra important that we have a common baseline that we can start with. That would be my main takeaway, I would say, at the end of this conversation. And I think that's a great takeaway to have from our today's discussion. It really very well summarizes uh, what you said before. So thank you so much, Elia, for participating uh, in our podcast today. And uh, thank you for listening to us. You can subscribe to this and all other ONFIF podcasts on our channel on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ONFIF podcast.